Before we start, I want to give a mention to Draper Esprit, a publicly listed VC fund that invests in high growth European tech companies with global ambitions. Their portfolio includes companies like Revolut, UiPath, Kazoo, Graphcore, Trustpilot, Isi, Revelin, Aircore, and many, many other top European tech companies. Draper Esprit writes checks of 5 to 50 million US dollars, and they focus on sectors like consumer, fintech, health tech, deep tech, enterprise, and SaaS. Their investment team has an incredible depth of experience, both as operators and investors, that helps businesses scale globally. If that sounds like the sort of investor you want to work with, get in touch with them at draperesprit.com. That's D-R-A-P-E-R-E-S-P-R-I-T dot com. Make the future, make it better, make it happen. But I, I think the, the big question mark for me wasn't whether people wanted this product because it was super, super apparent from day one. It was just whether we could get it to market fast enough uh, with enough high, uh, high enough quality, right? Yeah, and whether yeah. we were the product that they would choose. So that was always the kind of unknown. And mm. just going back to kind of community from the beginning, like that was a huge help for that though as well, because, you know, if you're going to choose between the products, uh, I'm always going to choose the one that is referred by my friend, exactly. uh, a good Everything. one that I can trust because that's that's the big word, right? In our space, especially, is trust. Yeah, uh, who you trust, and when you're the new guys uh, asking for your life savings, that's a big ask, right? So, how do you yeah. build that trust over time? And that's the journey that we're still on, um, and we're, we're we're working towards that over over time. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that, uh, but lots lots more to do. Welcome to Screw It, Just Do It, the number one ranked entrepreneurship podcast for business owners, entrepreneurs, and those aspiring to be so. The aim of this show is to showcase the world's most inspiring and interesting people who've decided to screw it, just do it. We offer 20% inspiration and 80% education, giving you the tools and advice to start, grow, and scale a successful business. I'm your host, Alex Chisnell, fellow entrepreneur, podcast agency owner with a number one podcast and startup advisor to global startup generator and early stage VC, Antler. Each week, I release two episodes, a Q&A every Wednesday with one of the world's most inspiring figures, plus a solo episode every Saturday where I cover the challenges that all of us are facing as entrepreneurs. Welcome to episode 278 of Screw It, Just Do It with me, Alex. And this week's guest, Adam Dodds, founder and CEO of Free Trade, a next generation investment app offering free stock trading in the UK for the very first time. I think you find Adam's story super interesting and that he's closed three rounds of funding via the crowd, one record being the most overfunded equity offering ever on Crowdcube, before going on to secure their Series A round led by VC Draper Esprit. Oh, and he's also a Canadian from just outside Toronto. We worked out we both lived within a couple of miles of each other from a little old place called Oakville, just outside Toronto. So I find this super interesting. I think you're going to find it really interesting as well. During this episode, we talk about transparency and engagement to your customers being key ideas for businesses to succeed. Listening 
to your customers and the community early on helps mold your products and your business to be a better version of what you initially conceived it to be. Also, building trust is progress and a first step in doing so when people do recommend your products to their friends and family. And investment being a good habit. After all, it's investing in your future. Screw it, just do it. Adam Dodds. So Adam, um, first of all, Canadian connection here. Tell us a little bit about um, where you're from and what brought you to the UK. Yeah, I'm from I'm from Canada, uh, from Oakville. We grew up in the same place. We just discovered, which is kind of crazy. Um, spent uh, spent yeah my first like 18 years of life in the suburbs of Toronto. Um, graduating university, I it was 2007. Uh, so, you know, if you, if you can remember that far back, you know, markets were flying, uh, mm. everybody wanted to be an investment banker, uh, that I was going to school with. I studied finance or whatever. I uh, ended up, uh, deciding to not do that initially. Um, bought a one-way ticket to Shanghai after graduation, uh, kind of kicked around Asia for Love Shanghai. two years. Um, and then uh, my grand plans to, uh, to, to go back into finance was kind of scuttled by the global financial crisis. So just mm. when I was trying to get a kind of a job, uh, they were firing uh, hundreds of thousands of workers globally. <laughs> I ended up uh, licking my wounds a bit and, uh, and joining the accountancy uh, scheme, chartered accountancy scheme at, at KPMG. And uh, without boring our listeners about that, but that, that eventually <laughs> led me to to come to, to London. And that, uh, that's where uh, I am now and have been for the last kind of six years on this uh, now on an entrepreneurial journey. Indeed. So, so did you come over then with, with KPMG? Was that um, the gig that you, you got to start with? Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, uh, I'll tell you, I, my, my dream really was to come to London after university anyways, uh, right. eventually, you know, make, make that uh, trip around the world. I yeah. uh, wasn't able to do that initially. So I, I, I went back to Canada to, to get the accountancy qualification, but I always had in my head, as soon as I get it, I'm going to go to London. I'm going to be back. Right, right. <laughs> and it took, a, it took a few steps along the way. I ended up in Cayman Islands for a couple of years. And, uh, but yeah, <laughs> finally, finally got here and uh, it's great. Awesome. Uh, where, whereabouts are you living at the moment? You are, you're in London. Still. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're in central London here, just south of the river. Uh, probably like a lot of people, uh, thinking about how we can get a maybe a bigger place further away from the city center after yeah. this COVID nightmare. It's been a bit crazy doing lockdown with three kids in a, a little London flat. Yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I, I, I don't know. So many conversations I've had during lockdown, and I'm doing it from where I am now, and I'm literally looking straight. I'm down in Pool in Dorset, and I'm looking straight out, and we're really lucky. We've got like a forest opposite us, no houses, and like really long gardens, and with you know a couple of girls, and the fact that it's been during spring and summer. Um, and, and literally 10 minutes to the beach, you know, it's, um, it is a very lucky place to be. I have to say. Yeah, so. I'm jealous. Yeah. That's what we're, we're Sorry. looking for. Yeah. <laughs> Get a bit closer to the coast, you know, uh, that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah. Nice. Um, and for a little bit of background, um, I know what you do, but for our audience, maybe you can, you can explain, um, what free trade does, and then we can kind of dive into where you came up for the, came up with the actual idea for it in the first place. 
Yeah. So what, what's free trade? Free trade, we're, we're a stockbroker, um, kind of an old fashioned word, but that's what we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're a stockbroker based here in London, built from scratch over the last few years. Uh, our product is only an app. So it's a stockbroker on your phone. Uh, you can go and invest in the stock market, the global stock market, all the companies, everyone kind of knows Amazon, Tesla, mm-hmm. uh, S&P 500, FTSE 100, uh, without having to pay any kind of commissions or punitive fees. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's our co- the key thing is like our core product is free. So anybody can get started investing yeah. uh, within minutes from downloading your app from the app store. And then uh, then our kind of our business model is we, we also have other services that we sell on top of that kind of so-called premium services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as I understand it, you, you- yourself started your investing journey as, as, as a teenager. Is that right? So back in Canada? Yeah, I mean, I was a bit of a, I don't know, a finance nerd or something. Uh, you know, reading the, the, <laughs> reading the, the, the business pages uh, as soon as I could uh, in the newspaper when I was a kid. But yeah, I mean, like the first time I bought a stock, I think it was about 14 after I got my first part-time job. But I never bought another stock for, for like at least a decade after that, because of just right. the experience. It was just, it was, uh, back in the late nineties, uh, it was the first wave of discount brokerages. You probably remember that, you know, it yeah. was revolutionary at the time. It used to be like a 50 pounds, a hundred pounds, uh, mm. to do a trade. And now you could do it for, you know, a tenor, but you know, still a high school kid, uh, with a, you know, a thousand pounds or something like that, it, it still wasn't, uh, didn't make any sense uh, to mm. pay those commissions. So I was kind of, despite my my uh, desire to be a, a Wall Street investor, I guess, in high school, <laughs> it didn't really pan out that well for me. Um, I kind of like the next time I thought I would be able to invest the way I wanted was, uh, you know, we t- talked about my first job at KPMG. I was thinking, okay, sweet. I'm not a poor student anymore. I got, uh, you know, somewhat like a professional job. Uh, I'll be able to, you know, open up that stock brokerage account. And it, it wasn't the case. And somewhat ironically, my first my first gig at uh, KPMG, so I was a, an auditor. So you go out to these companies and you do an audit of their financial statements, check that they're all right. It was a stockbroker. Um, so nice, big, shiny office uh, right on the waterfront in Vancouver. And, uh, you know, these the stockbrokers are a bit old school. They have a certain culture. You know, you, yeah. you can kind of feel it. And then uh, I, I still couldn't open up an account with these guys. I, you could see that they were making tons of money, both mm-hmm. the clients and the business. Um, and the stock market at that point was actually recovering after that huge crash in, what was it, 2009-ish. Yeah. Um, starting to recover and you, you kind of felt like it was like a generational you know, opportunity. I knew I had decades to go, but I, I, I still couldn't put it to work uh, despite, you know, having a so-called uh, good job at the time. So um, I, th- I think that was kind of the seed of the angst uh, of free trade uh, that just kind of built up over the years. So, I, you know, if I had, I think if I had stayed in Vancouver, that it still would just be a, a maybe a, a point of contention internally. And just, uh, I always wanted to, to kind of make a um, business out of it in my head, but it, mm. it took, you know, the years of, I guess, working in the industry, building the self-confidence that you knew uh, kind of the business behind it. And then landing in London, um, I, I was in the, um, the fintech M&A, corporate finance, whatever you call it, kind of the investment banking uh, practice at, at KPMG. And, 
it was it was just like eye opening landing in London, like the ecosystem here, uh, seeing all these different businesses getting funding from all sorts of different ways, and it, that was kind of like the, the kind of screw it or just do it moment, right? It was just like fuck it, uh, I could make a go of this because I could get the money that I need to start it. I, I feel like I have the skills and experience to make it uh, make a go of it, and I know this business could work. Mm. Uh, that's kind of what it was, uh, and I think that's probably the magic of, of London here yeah, and why we yeah. pumped out so much, uh, so many great companies uh, and a lot of them coming from immigrants like myself. You know? mm. and, and what was some of those first steps then for you? Did you, um, did you keep the job at the time and try and do this as, as like the kind of archetypal side hustle or did you literally, you know, throw all your chips in and, and, and go for it? Cause you could see that the route to get there was much quicker. Uh, a little bit of both. Um, I don't think anybody, I, I, have never talked to anyone that was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job and now I'm going to figure out what I'm going to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, did, like, I, I remember actually, uh, incorporating the company. It was, uh, 2015. So five years ago, it was almost, uh, to the day on the 28th. It was, uh, I did it on my, my little girl's birthday. I was still at KPMG at the time. So, you, you know, you got to build up a bit of a you know business model pitch deck mm. all that stuff on on like the Sunday that you don't aren't in the office or something yeah. right um, but yeah you, at some point you just got to bite the bullet don't you you guys just got to say I, I need to spend full time on this mm. uh, fortunately I you know I had a bit of savings um, I, I teamed up with a guy I was working with uh, as well and uh, and then the, then the question is what's what's the first source of funding you should take right. Mm. And I, I heard uh, you had a podcast recently, right? About how do you, how do you fund your business in COVID? Uh, yeah. And there's so many options out there, uh, especially for that first little chunk of, uh, mm. of capital that you need to kind of get to uh, to get to the next stage, maybe. Uh, and for us, that was crowdfunding. And I, I I thought also it was a bit of a sanity check for me, because I was thinking, you know, if I put this plan out there, uh, you know, it's going to be a pretty good pitch deck. You know, that's what I did as a, as a job. Um, yeah. I think it's a pretty compelling uh, proposition, but if I put this out there uh, to the public, well, the public, you know, the, the Crowdcube community who are investors who I, I, my theory is understand my, you know, my pain point that we're trying to solve. If they don't think it's a good idea, maybe, maybe I should go back to, uh, go back to my big, uh, corporate job or something like that. Mm. And, uh, and well, my, my theory was proven out. We, we kind of smashed that pretty quickly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of excitement from people I, I've never met before, but it really resonated. Uh, and kind of the rest is history. We've funded our business consecutively every year through crowdfunding and building more and more and more of a community. And mm. there's just been so many benefits from it. Like, even just like one uh, that pops up is, uh, you know, I met my, one of my co-founders through that first crowdfunding, you know, really? Uh, okay. I didn't know that. Investors, uh, you know, and he, it's round. funny because like he was thinking the same thing as me. Uh, he was draw. he's, he's a Hungarian. He was coming from, I think, Hong Kong, working at a startup as a Google guy for ages. And he's like uh, wanting to start kind of the business I was already starting. So he's like, uh-huh. there it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're already ahead of the curve. Maybe I can convince Adam to, to let me uh, join him. And uh, yeah, so it's, it's been a, it's been a great journey and you know, ups and downs and everything, but um, that's how it started. Interesting. And, and um, I was interested to know like with a, with a crowdfunding journey and I know the guys at Crowcube, I know the guys at Cedars had them on the show um, for you, <laughs> excuse me, for you, when you say, you know, loads of people that you didn't know 
um, jumped on board and loved the idea, loved what you were doing. How many people did you know beforehand that invested and, and how many didn't? Was it literally like a brand new bunch of people that, that invested from with that first raise? Yeah, it was. Uh, Amazing. It was a bit, a bit funny because uh, so I, I was relatively new to the to London. Uh, not a lot of friends and family, certainly not ones that were going to give me a significant amount of money. Uh, <laughs> and it was a bit of a quirk was uh, Crowdcube for the laws or whatever. You couldn't take uh, North America, US and Canadian or whatever. So um, yeah. my, my co-founder, obviously, you know, we had some friends pitched in and some a thousand pounds or something, you know. But for the vast majority of it, it was just fresh eyes, seeing this for the first time resonates and they put up their cash. And I think that's, that's uh, the best vote of confidence you can have. I think is money for your mouth is right. It's not just a sign yeah. up for a, a wait list or something. They're putting their money down. Mm. And, and I read like the last one that you did, um, you literally hit the target in minutes. Is that right? Something crazy, like the biggest raise for that sector and yeah, I, I kind of, I've kind of lost track of some of this stuff because um, <laughs> you know, one of the rounds I think we um, like broke CrowdCube and yeah, so I run it. Yeah, I don't know, but like basically, you know, every round these days uh, we're just constrained by the regulation around mm. how much we can raise. I think, I think the headline was we raised five million in twenty four hours last time. Mm. Half of that was just in private mode. Wow. Um, but yeah, so I, I, it's obviously, you know, it's resonating. Uh, and the other great thing about our business is that our customers are investors as well. Yeah, so, I was going to say that. How many, yeah, is it percentage-wise, it's got to be pretty high, isn't it, that actually then use your services as customers? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an amazing virtuous circle too, right? So mm. how, do we, how did we build our business? It's off the back of our community and our, and our community started up with investors. Yeah. And how do we grow our customer base? The biggest referral channel, or sorry, the biggest channel we've ever had is referrals. So people telling other people that this is a great product, you should sign up for it genuinely. Yeah. Um, and that's been part of the the magic um, of our of our story, at least so far. Is is there anything in there that you think for those who are in the early stages of that, or, or perhaps just haven't you know nailed it yet, that uh, that you can share with actually building that community, or or even more so growing that community? Say you've got you've got that community, you know, from that first raise, they all jumped in board. What what have you done that have made people you know so engaged and and so loyal that have stayed with you like throughout these last couple of years and then referring people because you must be doing a lot right clearly. Yeah, I mean, in a word, I think it would be transparency, um, and mm. then maybe another one would be engagement. Yeah. Um, so you know, from the very beginning we've been super transparent around our plans. Um, some would say too much around financial plans, yeah. uh, you know, own up when we don't hit some of them. Some, you know, early 2016, I probably, uh, it was our first crowdfunding around. I think I probably said that we we're going to launch in 2017 or something, right? But it ended up being 2018. People can yeah. forgive that as long as they can see the progress. Uh, there's not expect there's no expectation early on that you're you're going to nail every single projection five years from now, but as long as you have that dialogue uh, and you listen to your community as well, so you think about your community as your customers before you even have a product, right? So the classic mm -hmm. advice in startup land is you know, go talk to your customers, listen to your customers. We were doing that way before we even had a product, before we had a business, uh, so it, it helps challenge your your kind of like preconceived notions around what they want as well. Fortunately. 
a lot of it was correct. A lot of it was wrong too, though. Um, a lot of the initial theories I had around the product was wrong, and we've we've uh, refined it over time so that when we did hit the and and go out to the finally with a, a product in 2018, late 2018, it it was a much 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 better version than the than the one I was pitching in 2016. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, 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 I bet, I bet. <laughs> and and um, given you've done like so many iterations um, of, of crowdfunding, uh, what made you decide to, to look at other funding models as well? As I understand, you've now um, got down the venture capital route as well. Yeah, well, I think crowdfunding is great. There's a time and maybe place for crowdfunding along the startup's journey. Um, I think we've taken that to its maybe logical conclusion, which is mm. um, we're, we're now, you know, constrained by, as I was saying, you know, there's a limit on how much you can crowdfund yeah. uh, and anything over that you really, you're talking about like an IPO. Um, yeah. I mean, you could do it through crowdfunding, but why wouldn't you do it on a, on a stock exchange? So um, we're in that in between stage where we're not you know, we're ready for that IPO. We're probably, we're past pure crowdfunding and that's when, and that's where I think venture capital comes in. Um, and that's that's what we did last year. We we embarked on kind of raising our first round of venture capital, um, and we found what I would say is the the perfect partner for us in Draper Spree. Uh, they read our, led our uh, Series A last year. Um, there's just like there's just so much there's so much to love uh, on both sides of yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, we were talking before a little bit about how they, you know they're they're f- focused on community and uh, and whatnot, but also they are a listed public company as well. So you can actually go into our free trade app and buy a share of our largest investor, which I think is like super cool. Um, so cool. Yeah. I think they're the largest investor in uh, CrowdCube as well. So they get the crowdfunding. Mm. Uh, so it was, uh, it was just a, it was just a really good fit. Nice. And, and I think a few questions we'd, we'd get would be um, how challenging has it been to, um, to build, you know, a fin- essentially, you know, a financial institution given the regulations, not just worldwide, but particularly in the UK, for example, is that, you know, what kind of qualities have you needed to get you through that? Yeah. Um, so that is a huge barrier to entry, of course, the, the regulation building a financial institution from scratch, mm. um, I think that was one of the things though that I felt like I had a bit of an edge on the competition on and that, cause that was like what I did, you know, I, I never thought at the time, uh, maybe doing a, an audit of uh, client money procedures and stuff would ever come back to be uh, <laughs> beneficial, but it, it was, yeah. um, we're, we're lucky in the UK that the FCA is, uh, is pretty much as, as good as it gets in terms of, uh, forward thinking, open thinking kind of regulator with still, extremely high quality um so so yeah i mean it it was it was difficult it was uh it wasn't an easy thing but i think um you know you just need to persevere uh and when people tell you that you know something's not possible um you know think about that based on your well at least on my own experience everyone told me it was not possible everyone told me it would take years and years and you need to raise x amount and have these types of people um, and uh, just to, you know, tr- trust your gut and, and just, uh, just keep going. And that's what we did. Mm. Did, did you, I suppose you wouldn't be human if you, you, you hadn't had moments where you doubted it was ever going to happen or whether you'd have the, you know, early success that you did. Is that right? 
I I think there's always uh, an element of of wondering. Yeah, of course, the unknown, right? But I mean, that's kind of what's exciting. I think if you're yeah. an entrepreneur, that's what kind of gets you going, and that maybe is what uh, <laughs> is kind of a filter, um, kind of unreasonable expectations of your own success, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I think the, the big question mark for me wasn't whether people wanted this product because it was super, super apparent from day one. It was just whether we could get it to market fast enough uh, with enough high, uh, high enough quality, right? Yeah, and whether yeah. we were the product that they would choose. So that was always the kind of unknown. And mm-hmm. just going back to kind of community from the beginning, like that was a huge help for that though as well because, you know, if you're going to choose between two products, uh, I'm always going to choose the one that is referred by my friend exactly. uh, a good Every one time. that I can trust. Cause that's, that's the big word, right. In our space, especially is trust. Yeah. Uh, it's trust. And when you're the new guys uh, asking for your life savings, that's a big ask, right? So how do you yeah. build that trust over time? And that's the journey that we're still on. Um, and we're, we're, we're working towards that over, over time. And I think we've done a pretty good job of that, uh, but lots, lots more to do. And what was your like family and, and friends' reaction? I'm always interested to know, you know, when you when you've gone from the the corporate job and you know you decide to launch this business, you've been working on it on the side, and um, I don't know how many people you, you you know you shared that with initially, but then they might see, you know, you you get that initial crowdfunding raise, and they can kind of see, you know, in black and white, like in the press, what you're doing. How's that kind of attitudes changed over time? Well, I mean, my mom told me recently, uh, confided that she she was kind of losing her mind when she heard that I had, because uh, I didn't even consult before. I was just like, yeah, so I, I put in my resignation um, from KPMG, <laughs> like this job that I had wanted for so long in London. Um, it was kind of like not quite a dream job, but, you know, it's like a, a long time, as I, as I was mentioning before. Uh, but, you know, my parents are great. They're, they're like supportive of whatever you wanted to, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. They're, they're, I think the people that I was working with, uh, you know, on the M&A desk at KPMG thought I was a bit crazy as well um, mm-hmm. to, to go and do that. Um, and then uh, over time, well, I just, I think uh, people are just happy that it was successful. Um, and uh, they're just like happy to, to be a part of it and happy to see success. And uh, the, the free trade swag and, uh, and be part of the journey. I think and that's that's all that's all part of it. Nice. Um, and is it possible to you know for, for a financial services company to to help people and turn a profit at the same time? Do you think? Well, I mean that's that's an obviously true statement in my view. Um, yeah. I think the question, the reason you're asking that question, unfortunately, is that the finance industry has a pretty poor track record yeah. um, of of doing well for their customers. But I mean, me as a founder, me as a you know a business owner, uh, I, I I would never want to build something where if the customer touches it, they're worse off. You know, you want to build something that they're better off because of you know you're solving a real problem for them, but also you know they're better off because free trade is in the world. That's what, that's what everyone wants that I think not everyone maybe, but most entrepreneurs when you start a business and mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely. The, the two are completely compatible. Um, and that's, that's where we start uh, at free trade, right? Like we're a mission driven company. 
Our mission is to get everyone investing. That's something that resonates super strong across our team, obviously our investors and original supporters and our community as well. So it's it's really motivating to, to have that and to be building not just like a business to, to make money, because we are, let's not make any mistake about yeah, it, yeah. you know, our business, we're, we're trying to turn a profit, but to have a positive impact with that as well and marrying those two, I, I think that's like, that's the sweet spot uh, as an entrepreneur, as a business. And I think as an employee too, um, mm. I, if I were to go and join another company, that's certainly what I would be looking for. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, did the, the you know the rise of the the obvious challenger banks you know over the last ten years that give you confidence when you were you know starting free trade as well that uh, you know the opportunity was there that the window maybe necess- wasn't as small as you thought it might be to to actually you know get this launched and be successful Does that helping with any way at all? Uh, yeah, yeah, it did. I mean, dropping into London, right? Um, huge fintech ecosystem, obviously, uh, they lead, we lead in certain areas, probably the states in some other areas, probably states leads in most tech areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, fintech is a bit stronger in London. So yeah, seeing that kind of mass adoption excitement for say a Monzo or, you know, Starling, that, that kind of stuff. Obviously there's appetite for digital products app based only, um, you know, financial services as good as every other app on your phone. Mm. But what was missing was free trade. There was there was nothing in our space in the space I wanted. There was no product available in that space. It was a it was a really really um, kind of old fashioned. I still like felt like I was in like 1999 when I wanted to open up a brokerage account. Yeah. When I dropped in London, so it was it was like flashing lights for me the opportunity um, in our space. And then, as I said, you know, you know, seeing that there was money around, I could fund the business. It was like, boom, screw it. Let's do it. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Screw it. Just do it. (laughs) Brilliant. Um, And interestingly, I I read, you know, your target demographic, at least to start with um, is millennials. And was there, you know, this problem that you thought, you know, they had that you, you, you could solve that you identified you'd been there yourself yeah i mean so the the so-called millennial uh term or whatever I, really what it was i was just building a product for myself yeah, yeah right yeah, so i was yeah. building a product for myself the product that i wanted mm. that i had a very strong feeling that other people wanted as well um i, I looked around people i worked with at kpmg and a lot of the, these are people that you know have good salaries are financially literate are like auditing the biggest companies in the world or providing M&A advice or whatever. Uh, and even they are not investing the way they should. So it, that's the way I looked at it. Um, the fact that I was building it for myself and that I, you know, I was born in the 83 or whatever. So I, I guess I'm an, a millennial. So that's where I think the overlap came from and mm-hmm. that we're, we're product led and mobile first. And that's who it appeals to, but by no means is our customer base strictly millennial. Yeah. Um, that's what I was going to say to you. Surely now it's like anybody and, and everybody from. Yeah. 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 I mean, Great that's, incredible. that's why we yeah. say you know, our missions get everyone investing. Like that, yeah. that's what we want to do. We like investing is a good habit full stop. Right. And it's something everyone should do and everyone should have access to. Uh, and, and how do we 
help that happen in the UK and, and a bit of a renaissance of share ownership and thinking about, uh, you know, investing for your future uh, yeah. for, you know, especially people that haven't started yet or are just getting started. Uh, that's, that's what kind of our focus initially. Um, and that, I think that's what's happening. Um, mm. So we're, we're expanding the market, right? So about, everyone talks about, you know, total addressable market or what's the market size. And it's like, yeah, there's, there's that it's big, but what we're doing is we're expanding it. And half of our new users, they're investing for the first time with free trade. And it's, right. it's a privilege to be able to provide that for them and mm. how they own their first stock. And it's a, it's a special moment uh, when you, when you own your first stock and that's something hopefully that they can then take forward for decades for the rest of their life and hopefully have a, a better material life because, you know, frankly, they have a bit more money to do the stuff that they want. Yeah. What, what couldn't, what, I know it's, it's one of those no brainer things, isn't it really? You just think who, who doesn't want that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, like we're not, we're not Gordon Gabby, but who doesn't want more money? Come on. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, and, and I'm, I'm sure I saw on your, um, your LinkedIn profile that you're hiring at the moment. So um, how is that? Is that you're nodding affirmative. So have things been like last, um, I guess, five, six months for you, uh, given that, People are at home. People are spending more time on the phone. They're downloading more apps. They're listening to more podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. How has that affected um, business for you? It's been transformational is the, yeah. the best way to say it. I mean, our uh, it's just it's incredible to, to see the, the growth that's happened over the last nine months. I mean, the start of the year was, was strong, but this you know, the COVID crisis, you know, it's not necessarily the, the thing you want to, to juice up your, uh, your business, no. but, but all things equal, you know, it's, it's still great to, to, to have people sticking around, you know, maybe they're locked down and they, they, they have this uh, thing in the back of their head, shit, you know, I really need to get into investing. It's on my list, mm. uh, but I'm procrastinating. And I think it, that's what spurred a lot of people to, to, to get into the markets too. They see yeah. the headlines and whatnot. And I think it's going to be a good thing. It's going to be a good thing that um, a lot of people were introduced to investing at this stage of their life that maybe it would have taken them another five years or 10 years to get into. Uh, mm-hmm. And of course that benefits our business. Uh, so it, it's a win-win, I think. Um, yeah. And things are, things are looking pretty strong uh, going forward as well. So um uh, it's been it's been good, and I, I'm, I'm bullish on on where it's going to go over the next you know little while too. Nice, and the market's been a bit crazy as well. So, it, yeah, it's it's been super volatile. Yeah, uh, sure. Um, and I think you just look at our our kind of customers' behaviors. It's been quite interesting to see where we had a surge in in kind of cash deposits around the time when the, the market was tanking mm-hmm. people weren't putting it to work right away. So we had this massive buildup in cash. We were like maybe like 25% of our total assets that we we're holding for customers is sitting in cash. And then they put it to work yeah. um, over you know the last few months. And it's been amazing to see actually the returns on some of our, our, um, our like kind of our customers. Uh, so we, we just shipped um, a feature showing your, Money weighted rate of return. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it basically tells you your internal rate of return, how you're doing on the cash you've invested. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible to see uh, the numbers. Like our, our customers are beating the market, like because of what they're investing in. So our our customers tend to be 
overweighted the big tech stocks. They tend to be overweighted the electric car companies or any kind of renewable energy or, mm. or SaaS or whatever. So um, I think there's probably something to do, uh, something to that where our, our customer base tends to skew younger. Uh, average age is about 30. Uh, their perspective on what is the cust- uh, what is the company of the future. Um, yeah. Interesting. Eh? And they're, and they're, and they're getting paid for it. Their, their, yeah. their, uh, their investment returns are, are showing. So I, I think that's really encouraging to see. Um, I, I love to see our, our customers making money and, uh, yeah. and doing better than they would have otherwise. And who, who are you hiring at the moment then? What are you kind of looking for? Oh, we're hiring across the board. Oh, yeah. um, I mean, every, everything from uh, CFO, we're hiring our first CFO right now. We're hiring across engineering, engineering leadership. Um, what's really interesting too, I don't know how many uh, Europeans listen to the, your podcast, but we're hiring in Europe as well. Because uh, okay. 2021 is going to be the big rollout year, uh, aggressive rollout year for free trade in Europe. Uh, so we've got positions open in Paris and Luxembourg and Germany. Um, ah, yeah, so- Germany is our third most listed. I've never worked this one out, but it's like um, UK, US, Germany. And I've never worked that out why it's the third most popular <laughs> place that listens to the podcast. But yeah, it's like 146 countries now. So I think we'll probably cover all of those. Yeah. Amazing. That's good, man. Yeah. Strong growth. Very good. That's good to hear. Got to yeah. fulfill the mission, you know. Um, you can't stop in the UK. So uh, I, I was actually, I was just interviewing a guy for, from Luxembourg just before this, and he's asking me about it. I, I keep on saying, you know, when I started free trade, when I moved to London, I moved to the capital of Europe, right? Uh, this was pre-Brexit. That's the way I looked at it. I was moving to the capital of the world, really, in my view. <laughs> um, things have changed. Uh, but it doesn't change my outlook. I still look at Europe as our home market, right? So mm-hmm. it's it's a is this a generational thing? I think a bit more than um, a, a UK thing or a German or a national yeah. market. Uh, you talk to a 35 year old in France or a 35 year old in Sweden or a 35 year old in Belfast. They have a lot more in common. I find. Um, than talking to a 65-year-old in the same geography. So yeah. that's our that's our outlook. Um, mm. And then when do we go beyond Europe? We'll see. Uh, maybe next year. Okay. So 2021 is um, strong growth in Europe is where, what you're looking to do, and that's the, the hiring. and That's right. Yeah, we're we're going yeah. to roll across and uh, make free trade available um, across the EU. Awesome. Um, well, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for taking the time out. Um, relatively short notice uh, to, to come on. Really appreciate that. It's a, it's a great story. I know it's going to really resonate with our, with our listeners as well. Um, obvious place uh, to, to go and find out more about free trade is simply go to the App Store, I'm guessing. Yeah, I mean, obviously download the product. Um, but, you know, I, I mentioned the community. we got a buzzing community, freetrade.io slash community. Uh, there's so much going on there. A lot of chit chat, you know, I uh, talk about, you know, uh, Trevor Milton and his uh, scandal and uh, the, the latest IPO today was uh, Palantir. Uh, so there, there's a lot going on there. We're on social, of course, at Free Trade on Instagram, at Free Trade on Twitter. Um, we're, we're all there. Awesome. Um, Adam, it's been a pleasure. I've, I've yet, that's the f- Alex. first person I've ever spoken to who's um, from Oakville as well. So um, that's the first. Yeah, that's, that's the highlight. Thanks. Good stuff, man. Maybe I'll see you there uh, next summer when our our, uh, our flights are not cancelled. Let's do it. 
Okay. Cheers, buddy. Thanks for your time. Take care. So the world is always smaller than we realize. Finding out that we both uh, live within a stretch of each other back in uh, just outside Toronto in Canada. Um, Very cool. Very cool. Um, Look, for me, really enjoyed that one. Really engaging uh, guy, uh, Adam, and um, really got on with him there. Really enjoyed it. Um, And love some of the things they've done. I love that bit about listening to your customers and the community that you're building early on um, and how much that helps mold your products in your business to be a better version of what you initially conceived it to be. And it's often the way with a number of the entrepreneurs that we've spoken to over the years here on this show who've gone down um, the crowdfunding route initially. Uh, Now they've obviously taken the step over the last 12 months to do a series A with, uh, with with Draper Esprit, but down the VC route, but to start with, you know, getting your customers to actually invest in your business and again and again and again is amazing brand loyalty and it's only going to build that, you know, community of super raving fans that every business wants who then you know, as Adam says, referrals, you know, always the best form of marketing. And if these people who are customers anyway, love the product and the brand and they invest in it, why wouldn't they refer people? You've just got to ask them regularly to do it. And by having something like crowdfunding in place enables you to do so. Um, and again, you know, I like, you know, investing, being a good habit. He started very early, obviously. Um, I totally get, you know, building wealth is investing for your future, for your family's future. And something like this, where the barriers to entry have been massively lowered by the likes of Adam, um, is only a good thing here in the UK. And no doubt, throughout the world um yeah really enjoyed that one really enjoyed having adam on i hope you enjoyed it uh, as much as i did have a great week and thanks for listening if you found value in this free podcast all i ask is that you tell somebody else about it you don't have to leave a review or write a post on social tagging me in the screw it, just do it hashtag. But if you do, I promise to give you a shout out on a future episode and you have my eternal thanks. I'm at Alex Chisnell on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook, plus at Alexander Chisnell on Instagram. Alongside the Screw It Just Do It Facebook page, this houses the Screw It Just Do It community and has the most up-to-date information on all things Screw It Just Do It, including all of our live events. I love hearing from you if you either message me on LinkedIn or email alex at screwitjustdoit.org. I promise to reply. Just give me a little time. Lastly, and if you're looking for investment, I wanted to give a mention to Draper Esprit, a publicly listed VC fund that invests in high growth European tech companies with global ambitions. The portfolio includes companies like Revolut, UiPath, Kazoo, Graphcore, Trustpilot, Isai, Revelin, 
Echo, and many, many other top European tech companies. Draper Esprit writes checks of five to 50 million pounds, and they focus on sectors like consumer, fintech, health tech, deep tech, enterprise, and SaaS. Their investment team has an incredible depth of experience, both as operators and investors, that helps businesses scale globally. So if this sounds like the sort of investor you want to work with, get in touch with them at draperesprit.com. That's D-R-A-P-E-R-E-S-P-R-I-T.com. Make the future, make it better, make it happen.